Well, good evening, everyone. It's uh, good to see you. Uh, thank you for your invitation. I'm delighted to be here. This is only the second time I've been to California, and uh, I'm delighted to be here. Also pleased to be able to share with our brother Larry. Now, I noticed that in the flyer here that you have under conference speakers, the information given about Larry Price seems to be very precise. The information about Roy Hill seems to be very vague. <laughs> Let me just give some approximation to the same as what Larry's is. I was saved in 1954, which is a long time ago. I have five children and 13 grandchildren. It says that they now enjoy their grandchildren. Well, that's only part of the story. I assure you that 13 grandchildren is a very expensive situation. <laughs> I was chairman of Precious Seed and a member of the trust for about 30 years, and I retired from it uh, just in August last year. But of course, I still take an ongoing interest in what's going on. And if you want to do anything about the Ministry of Precious Seed or the magazine, then do feel free to talk to me about it. Now, I'd like you to turn, please, this evening to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17. A well-known story for us to read. A well-known story for us to read. And after six days, <clears throat> Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth him up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And then if you'd like to turn, please, to the book of the Revelation and chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. And verse 3, <clears throat> and I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. And then further down, verse 6, these, that is, these two witnesses, have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues, as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. 
and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them, and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they, that's the two prophets, or the two witnesses, ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And I'm sure God will add a blessing to the reading of his word. I imagine that from the readings you will have detected that I want to follow on a little bit on what our brother Larry was teaching us in connection with Elijah. And I want to uh, draw your attention to perhaps some appearances of the prophet Elijah in the New Testament record. When we come to Matthew chapter 17, of course, there we have the story of the Mount of the Transfiguration. Somebody has said this story starts off with three men, Peter, James, and John. It continues with two men, Moses and Elijah, and it ends up with one man, Jesus only. And of course, that's the way it should always be, that our focus eventually is upon him. Three men, two men, one man. I want you to think about these three, two, and one as witnesses. Peter, James, and John were witnesses. Moses and Elijah were witnesses. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself is described in the early chapters of the book of the Revelation as the true and faithful witness. And so I want to talk for a little bit in Matthew chapter 17 about what they witnessed there. Because after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. He took these three disciples. Now, this was a group, if you like, within a group. You will remember that initially, they were sent out 70. In other words, he commissioned 70. And from that 70, he chose 12. And from that 12, he chose three, that they would be his confidants, that they would be close to him, and that they would be with him in all the crisis points of his ministry. Peter, James, and John. And here they were to have the great privilege of witnessing for themselves something of the coming glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, these three men were quite different. Peter was a man whose life was full of ups and downs. He spoke when he shouldn't have done so. He was very much like us, a man of like passions, perhaps, as we are. And the Lord Jesus Christ took Peter with him to the Mount of Transfiguration to reassure him about the future that was coming. James would be one of the first martyrs of the church, and you could imagine that as James placed his head on the block, that he might well have thought this was a wasted effort. 
I followed him for three and a half years. And where has it led me? It has all been a waste of time. I'm about to be killed. But those would not be the thoughts that would go through the mind of James in those dire circumstances. Because James had seen his glory. James knew that there was a glory. James knew that the Lord Jesus Christ was the king of glory. And James knew that he would be there also once the blow had struck and he was dead. And of course there was John described as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And for folks today who are up and down in their experience, for folks today who face days of darkness, even as James did, and for folks today who, if you like, like John, love the Lord, he still puts his arms around them and leads them up onto higher ground to show to them his glory. And speaking of that, first of all, of course, this Peter, James, and John group, in fact, they were such a group together that in one place in the New Testament, they are actually referred to not just as Peter, James, and John, but as the Peter, James, and John. And so here they were together in those different circumstances. I should point out to you that they were with them, these three, at the raising from the dead of Jairus's daughter. You remember the Lord Jesus Christ went there, and as he went into the house, he put everybody out, and he took in with him Peter, James, and John, and the girl's father and the girl's mother. Interesting that, that the girl's mother should be mentioned for the first time. You might also, it's not part of my ministry tonight, but just something for you to think about. Um, you might have wondered in the past, as I have done, why the story of the woman with the issue of blood is put into the middle of the story of Jairus' daughter. The only thing that seems to link them together is the figure 12. The woman had the issue of blood for 12 years. The little girl was 12 years of age. Is that just interesting or is it significant? You might wonder whether or not the woman with the issue of blood was actually the mother of the little girl. Now, if you want to ask me more about that later, then feel free to do so. Um, so they were there on that occasion with him, and they saw him raising the child from the dead, and it made such an impression upon Peter that when he went to see Dorcas, he did what the Lord Jesus Christ did. Number one, he put them all out. Then he kneeled down. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't kneel down. And Peter, if you like, spoke, didn't touch the woman while she was dead, although the Lord Jesus touched the child when she was dead because he cannot, cannot be corrupted by death and so on. But there are many things that Peter learned on that occasion that he put into practice in connection with the resurrection of Dorcas. They were also with him. I suppose you could say that with the Jairus' daughter, they were witnesses together of his grace. They were also witnesses together of his grief because in Matthew chapter 26, they went to the garden of Gethsemane and the Lord Jesus Christ said to the group of disciples, you wait here. And he took the three, Peter, James, and John, and he went a little farther with them. 
And he said, tarry ye here and watch. And although they found difficulty in watching, as they did watch, they saw his grief. Father, if it be possible, said he, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. They were witnesses together of his grace in the house of Jairus. They were witnesses together of his grief in the garden of Gethsemane. And yet hear how wonderful, for we have read in chapter 17 of Matthew, they are witnesses to his glory. And so as they were there, look what happened, and I just want to go over this quite quickly. When they were there, he took them up into a high mountain apart, and he was transfigured before them. In other words, he was transfigured, he was changed, he was transformed. I believe that this story of the Mount of Transfiguration took place at night, not in the day, but at night. You might say to me, chapter and verse. Well, I think there is the implication that to see something bright on a bright day, it doesn't look terribly dramatic. If you go up to Mount Hermon, as most believe this happened on, or in Mount Tabor, if that's right. On a bright, sunny day, you have to wear shade so you can see nothing. But to see this glory on a dark night would be quite remarkable. And the passage, I think, is it in Luke's Gospel says that the next day they came down from the mountain. So they were up there overnight. If you go to buy a diamond or something like that, a gem of something of that nature. The shopkeeper, the jeweler, just doesn't take it out and hold it in his hand and say, now that's nice, isn't it? But what he does is he takes out a piece of black cloth, quite a large piece compared to the little diamond, and he takes this diamond and he sets it right in the middle of the black cloth so that its beauty and brightness and glory might be seen to greatest effect. And so I think this happened at night, so that the glory of Christ might be seen to its greatest effect. And he took them up and was transfigured before them. Of course, the word transfigured is the Greek word from which we get our word metamorphosis. Well, what is a metamorphosis? A metamorphosis occurs when, for example, a caterpillar changes into a butterfly. Now, that's quite a change. One is a creepy crawly that you sort of go ugh at, whereas the butterfly is beautiful, stunning, fragile. It flies. And yet, that lowly caterpillar and the beautiful butterfly are still the same little creature. What happened to it? It metamorphosed from one to the other. A more down-to-earth example is when a tadpole changes into a frog. But it's the same thing. And you know, one day, that's what happened to the Lord here. He changed. And one day, that's going to happen to you and to me too. Because we should all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And look what it says about him. And I just mentioned this briefly in passing. He was transfigured before them before them suggests right in front of their very eyes. There was no mistaking it. 
Furthermore, his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light, or white and glistering, so that as he moved, he seemed to glisten in front of them. Other gospel writers put in their pennyworth, and they say, it was so white, it was white as snow, it was whiter than any fuller on earth could make the clothes. So white. And so we appeared before them in glory. And our little group of three, from Galilee, fishermen, stood and watched as the king of glory manifested his beauty to them. It's wonderful that you and I one day will see that too. And yet we can still see it today, a foretaste of it, to see the Lord Jesus in all his beauty. And then, of course, in verse 3, you have this phrase that links in with what we've been hearing already. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. You will see that little word, behold, verse 3. It occurs again in verse 5, while he yet spake, behold. And still in verse 5, and behold, a voice out of the cloud. This word behold draws attention to something remarkable, something unexpected. One of my grandchildren, one of the 13, uh, was leaving our house one day and my wife gave him, I suppose by this time he was about, I don't know, three, four years of age maybe, and uh, my wife gave him a little carton of yogurt. Uh, why she did that, I have no idea, and on reflection, I think she doesn't know either, but she gave him that to take home with him. And the little fellow, I think, had pulled the top off. And he sat in the car in the back seat, in his little seat, and then having pulled the top off, he shook it. And guess what happened? Out came the yogurt, all over the place, all over him, even through his mother's hair as she sat in the front seat. They turned round and shouted at him. His grandparents stood and looked through the back window, amazed at what had happened. And the little fellow said, did you see that? <laughs> well, of course we saw it. How could you miss it? But that, but that, did you see that, is an explanation of the word behold. Now, if you never remember anything else I say to you at this conference, every time you see the word behold, you're going to think of yogurt. And... Uh, but it is, you see, and here it is. And did you see this? There appeared unto them Moses and Elijah. Where had they come from? Well, these were both Old Testament prophets, of course. Moses was a man who had died and been buried. Elijah was a man who had neither died nor been buried, but was received up, raptured up into heaven as we have been hearing about already. And so they are representative men, representative of some who die and go to glory, representative of others, if you like, who will not die and yet shall go to glory in a coming day. And what were they doing? Well, it's a surprise, of course, that uh, Moses was there at all. Because God had said to Moses, Moses, I'm sorry, but you'll not be in the land. You struck the rock when I asked you just to speak to it. I can't let you in, but I can let you see it from a distance. But you are not going in 
It's the Old Testament. You see the grace of God in the New Testament because there standing on the highest mountain in the land is our friend Moses, the grace and mercy of God. And Elijah, and so they were there, talking with him, talking with him. They were talking. In my job, we, in the printing and publishing industry, we used to have some important clients. One of our important clients, we did her three books, was, um, uh, you may or may not have heard of her, a certain Margaret Thatcher, who was Prime Minister of England for some year, of the United Kingdom for some years. I met her after we had printed her first book, and our company um, newspaper, when it went out, had a picture of Mrs. Thatcher and me um, standing talking. And the caption that they had put below it was, Roy Hill talking to Margaret Thatcher. And I said, no, that's not a description of how it was. It was Margaret Thatcher talking to Roy Hill. That's the way around it was. And what have we here? And they were there talking with him. I wonder what you would talk about in such circumstances. We're not told here, but we are told again, I think, and look, that they spoke of his exodus which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. An exodus, of course, is a going out. Moses knew something about an exodus, did he not? And now he's talking, as is also Elijah, about the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, his exodus, which he would do at Jerusalem, talking with him. Then answered Peter. Well, as far as I can see in this and in the other records of the story, nobody had asked a question yet. So Peter was like the brethren. He could answer questions before they were asked. <laughs> then answered Peter and said unto the Lord, and said, um, and said. Now, Peter has been criticized because of what he said here. But I want you to look at it with me just for a moment. What did he say? And Peter said unto Jesus, Lord, said he. Well, that's good. That's a good start. You call me Master and Lord, and you do well, for so I am, said Jesus. And so Peter got off to a flying start. He said, Lord. And then he said something lovely. Even if it was an understatement, he said, it is good for us to be here. It is good for us to be here. I would say, jolly well done, Peter. Then said he, if thou wilt, a recognition of divine sovereignty, if thou wilt. And then, say the brethren, this is where he falls. What does he say? Let us make here three tabernacles. And they say he's putting Moses and Elijah on the same level as the Lord Jesus. Well, I don't think so for a moment. He didn't suggest making tabernacles for Peter, James, and John. He wanted this to last. And he immediately says, one for you, Lord, one for you. You're first, one for you, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I think Peter stood tall. One for you, the best for you, Lord, he says. And while he yet spake, did you see that? What? A bright cloud overshadowed them. And did you see this? A voice out of the cloud 
which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Moses wasn't a good speaker, but he had a good speaker to speak for him, Aaron. Elijah had quite a lot to say. He was a good speaker. But the message here now is hear him. Not Peter, not Moses, not Elijah, but him. He is the man with the message. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And then you have that lovely expression in verse number seven, and Jesus came. You see, he had been in glory, appearing in glory. This is my beloved son, deity, divinity, majesty. As Peter said in his epistle, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And yet here now the record says, and Jesus came. The lowly man of Galilee, the human form the mystery of godliness. He came and he touched them. I think that's lovely. You know, touch is reality. I was in a shop the other day and it was a gift shop and there were little notices here and there that said, do not touch. <laughs> and of course, immediately one wants to touch. But here now, Jesus came and touched them. It was real, and he said to them, Arise, and be not afraid. You know, one of the wonderful things about getting to heaven is going to be the seeing, but also the touching. We sometimes sing, do we not? Open my eyes, Lord. I want to see Jesus. To reach out and touch him and to say, that I love him. And equally so. He anticipates that great day of union, finally, all together in glory. And as we touch him, rest assured that he will touch you, and in his mind will be, and in your mind will be, after all these years, after all the failures, after all the sins, after all the pains, after all the crying, home at last. And should we be perturbed in such circumstances of glory, we will hear these words, arise and be not afraid. As he said in another place, it is I. It's me. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. I sometimes think what it must have been to be a disciple in those days, one of the 70, or one of the 12, or one of the three. But I say to you this, that in that coming day, when we meet the Lord, we will not stand there as one of 70. Neither shall we stand there as one of 12. 
neither shall we stand there as one of three. But as one of one. Because that meeting in the air and in heaven itself can be described in the words of the hymn writer. Face to face shall I behold him far beyond the starry sky face to face in all his glory I shall see him by and by. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? If you'd lift your heart in days that are dark and difficult, that you and I one day will stand face to face. That phrase, by the way, face to face, uh, with our brethren and sisters down here on earth, in the things of, in spiritual things, and maybe too in some uh, material things, we stand with them shoulder to shoulder. That's the relationship, shoulder to shoulder. Uh, one's relationship with one's wife is different. It's not shoulder to shoulder. It's face to face. You see, it's different. It's special. It's amazing. It's mysterious, and yet it's wonderful. And you and I in that day will have such a close relationship with the Lord Jesus that that is also described as face to face. Amen. So, three witnesses. Peter announces later, as I've already said to you, Peter announces this, he says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Say what you like, think what you like, do what you like, but we saw it in front of our very eyes. He doesn't mention then that they were also witnesses of his grace together in the raising of Jairus' daughter. And he doesn't mention, as I have mentioned to you earlier, the other place where they were witnesses of his grief and saw him, as it were, there in an agony, praying earnestly in the garden of Gethsemane. What a sight they saw. In my years with Precious Seed, I used to lead some trips to Israel. One year sticks with me in particular. We stood in the garden of Gethsemane, not on the part where the church is built, but across the little pathway in the other side of the street, where I think the real Gethsemane is. We stood there. We had a little time of worship and thanksgiving. Our tour leader, our Israeli tour, tour guide, was a very special man. And one of his things that he did was he used to collect little shekels, if you like, or pieces of silver and make them into um, uh, necklaces for the ladies to wear. And on that occasion, I remember, he took out of his purse, carrying it, having carried it specially, 30 pieces of silver. And he said, here in my hand, I hold 30 pieces of silver. I would like one of you to take in your hands now these 30 pieces of silver. Everybody stood with their hands in their pockets, determined not to do it. Why? because it was the price at which they evaluated my Lord and nobody wanted to touch it. They saw his grief before 
he was betrayed. I would like you to turn in your Bible now, please, to Revelation chapter 11. Now, you will have noticed, of course, that uh, Matthew chapter 17 speaks of all the witnesses. And we have seen in Matthew 17, Peter, James, and John, the three witnesses. We've also seen there, as witnesses of his glory, Moses and Elijah. And now we come to Revelation chapter 11. I didn't read the first few verses about measuring the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. Those verses, I think, indicate to us that the Lord is about to take possession of the earth. He's measuring up in view of now finally taking action against the earth in judgment, about which we have heard something earlier. But let's look now at verse number 3 of chapter 11. And I will give, the word power is in italics, it's not in the original, there's nothing at that point in the original, we need to supply it, the idea is, and I will give power or authority unto my two witnesses. Now, Revelation does not tell us who these two witnesses are. There have been many different ideas as to who these two are. But I want to suggest to you this evening, without going out of my way and taking time to try to prove it, because I couldn't, but I believe that the two witnesses of Revelation are the same two men that stood in the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah. Described here beautifully and precisely and accurately as my two witnesses. Two special witnesses, as if there were no other witnesses, my two witnesses. And what shall these two witnesses do? And they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and sixty days, which is the equivalent of three and a half years, or forty-two months, as occurs in other places in the Revelation. This is to do with the great tribulation years, and of course, as these two men were going to going to witness for three and a half years of that tribulation time, they would be endowed with the Spirit of God, as verses um, four and five would indicate, and they would be protected by the Spirit of God. And I want you to see that it says in verse number five, "And if any man will hurt them, here is God now in the last days, not long before." The judgments of God are to fall upon the Jews and upon the earth and upon the nations. God now protects his two witnesses and says if anybody tries to hurt them is the idea because they weren't hurt. If anybody tries to hurt them, then fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. You see, the witness in that day will be a very special and protected witness. And these two men, I believe Moses and Elijah, will stand in the streets of Jerusalem, clothed in sackcloth, indicating that their ministry was a ministry of judgment. And what have they got? What other powers have they got? 
Verse 6, these have power to shut heaven, that it rains not. Now we've heard about Elijah. He had that power. And power over waters to turn them to blood. That reminds us of Moses in Egypt. And to smite the earth with all plagues. That reminds us of Egypt and Moses as well. And look at this. As often as they will. So here are two powerful witnesses. To the glory of God and of Jesus Christ. Clothed in sackcloth. Preaching in the street of Jerusalem. The idea behind the word street, of course, is a main street or a square in Jerusalem. That will be their daily place of preaching. And when I've been in Jerusalem, I've wondered as if I've stood there, for example, in a square near the Jaffa Gate. I wonder, will this be the place where these men will stand? Look at what it says. Verse 7. And when they shall have finished their testimony, for those three and a half years that these men preach, nobody can touch them. They are immortal. They cannot be touched. They are God's witnesses. They have powers to protect and defend themselves against any who will come. Not even the beast stretches out his hand against them at that time. And when they shall have finished their testimony. All witnessing, all testimony comes to a conclusion when it's over and done. And theirs came to a conclusion as well. And look at what it says. The beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. Just like that. How come? Because the time for their witnessing is finished. And done. They are now as vulnerable as any other men. And the beast has no difficulty in killing them. Look at verse 8. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city. You know, for a Jew not to be buried is an abomination. And here are these two witnesses now. And as the beast has killed them. These two witnesses, their dead bodies, lie in the street of the great city, i.e. Jerusalem. Furthermore, says our verse, of the great city which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, representing wickedness and violence. And look at that phrase at the end of verse 8, where also our Lord was crucified. Some have translated that where also their Lord was crucified. I mean, what, what a shame that they crucified not our Lord, but they crucified their own Lord. What a mistake. And they of the people in Jerusalem and all the kindreds and tongues and all the nations of the world shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. Of course, the beast, and maybe others would remember, that when he died, they buried him. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. They're not taking any chances with these two witnesses. They will lie there in the street 
until they decay and there are only bones left. And they of the people and kindreds and nations shall see their dead bodies three days. Of course, it's not all that long ago that you would have thought this was not possible, but of course it is possible now with television and social media. That is, these men in this coming day lie there dead and decaying on the streets, the hot streets of Jerusalem. The world will see it. Everything will be trained upon them. Night by night, I suspect, on television news, it will be seen. They're dead. And everybody was so happy that they had died. Because we read this, that they that dwell upon the earth, the earth dwellers of Revelation, shall rejoice and make merry and send gifts one to another. Why would they do that? Because these two prophets or two witnesses had for three and a half years tormented them with their preaching. And so the world is happy. But just a little bit apprehensive. Three days. So they lie there dead for one day and nothing happens. A small sigh of relief. They lie there dead in the eyes of the world for two days. And nothing happens. A sigh of relief. And as the world holds its breath. Day three comes, and day three goes, and they're still on the street, dead. And there breaks out merriment and joy and gladness. The three days about which everybody was worried have come and gone. But something dramatic happened. Half a day later, or was it? Verse 11, and after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, the two men, and they stood up upon their feet and great fear, awe, trembling fell upon them which saw them. Can you imagine that? Three men decaying, dead for three and a half days in the heat. And suddenly, when least expected, but with television and others watching and social media involved too, they are suddenly seen to stand up upon their feet. Amazing. My two witnesses. And what happened? And they heard a voice from heaven saying, a great voice from heaven saying. Now, the two witnesses heard the voice, absolutely. I'm not sure if the rest of the people there did or not. Maybe, a bit like Saul of Tarsus, on the road to Damascus, he heard the voice and understood it. The others heard a noise, a sound, but could not articulate what it meant or understood what it meant. Maybe that'll be the same here, I don't know. They heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither and... The two witnesses ascended up to heaven in a cloud. And you have that dramatic statement. And as they did so, their enemies beheld them. I think when Elijah went up, one, maybe two, maybe three men saw him go. 
when our Lord Jesus Christ went up, depending on what you make of the passage, either 12 or 70 or 120 or above 500 men at once saw him go up, all friends of his, all disciples of his, all followers of his. And the angel said to them, you men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? But here in this case, in this day yet to come, these two men will ascend with dignity up into glory. And their enemies around the world, Israel, United States, Canada, United Kingdom, Russia, Iran, wherever you are in that world, the enemies of God and his Christ will behold these two men as they ascend up into heaven. I imagine that the welcome that heaven has for those two men will be tremendous. My two witnesses, said God, here they come. And heaven, I imagine, reaches down and stretches out and pulls them in. And I imagine that they will hear there and then, well done, good and faithful servants. Of course, the witness par excellence is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Faithful and true, Revelation describes him as. He witnessed during his life here on earth as to who God was and what his character was. This was a new revelation to men who had never understood God before, but now in seeing Christ, the faithful witness, they began to understand something about God. And the only thing that we can understand about God is that which we find in the Son. No man hath seen God at any time, but he that hath seen me. How wonderful to see him, and consequently know the Father. The faithful witness. Faithful unto death. There stood by, near Calvary, twelve legions of angels ready to act and to rescue him. As the hymn writer said, he could have called 12,000 angels to free him, to free the world and to set him free. But he didn't do it. He was faithful right to the end. And even today, he is still for us in glory as our great high priest Still a faithful witness before God for his children. Faithful for you and for me up there. And faithful to you and to me down here. Those days of the past. Of the Mount of Transfiguration. Of Jairus' daughter. Of the Garden of Gethsemane. Were great and gripping days. What must it have been to be there? And in this future day yet to come, I wonder if you and I will see it from our place in glory. I don't know. But that's a gripping day too. Untouchable for three and a half years. Killed 
left for dead, well, left dead in the streets of Jerusalem, that great city, and the world looking on. And after three and a half days, where they thought it was all over and all done, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stand upon their feet, and they ascend up on high. Their enemies watching them. What a day, what a day that will be. But I say this to you. I imagine the greatest day in my life ever, and I suspect the greatest day in your life ever too, will be that day, that day of days, when we ascend up into heaven. Whether living or dead, and now raised again, to see the Savior face to face. We can reach out, we will reach out and touch him. And he will touch us. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. Remember the story. Starts off with three men. It carries on with two men. And it ends up with one man. And remember the Lord Jesus Christ said this, Speaking to his disciples and speaking to you and to me tonight, he says, You are my witnesses. Therefore, go forth and preach the gospel to every creature. And don't miss this. Did you see this? I am with you, even to the end. May God bless this word. Thank you for listening.